Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Sermon lesson this morning comes from Romans chapter 3 four and five. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles or your devices to that. And I'm sorry, you probably got a lot of tabs open on your phone this morning because our screen is out. But I'm going to encourage you to keep Romans opened and also keep Galatians and 1 John opened as well. We're going to reference those throughout our sermon this morning. Our theme for this Sunday is debunking or destroying the lie that I am what others say about me. And Romans chapter four and five tells us the truth in the face of that lie. The words it was credited to him, that is Abraham, were not written for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Would you be seated? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a, that's a saying that I heard growing up on the elementary school playgrounds at Gateway Multicultural School in Fort Myers, Florida. But maybe you've heard that saying too. It's a saying that a kid would say to another kid when someone had said something mean to them. Maybe had called them their name or done something to hurt their feelings. It's a saying that a kid would say to a bully to let that bully know that your words, your words, they can't touch me. They can't hurt me. Sticks and stones might bake my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But is it true? Well, 
The fact is that words may not break your bones, but you know that words can definitely hurt people. It's the word of someone that you love that you don't forget that hurts your feelings. It's the name that a friend called you, maybe in jest, but, but maybe not, that hurts you deeply and you don't forget. It's the lie that someone tells about you, the word that ends up hurting or ruining your reputation. It's the lie that someone tells about you or your company that ultimately can hurt and destroy a career. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. Words do hurt. You know this. Words often hurt very much and very deeply. And so we care very much and rightly so, about what people say or what people think about us. But do we often take that care, that concern, too far? Can we therefore fall into a lie that I actually believe I define myself, my worth, my identity, based on what other people say and what people think about me? We could argue that Perhaps this, this lie is one that hits close to home because we live in a world, we live in 21st century North America in the United States where sticks and stones are probably not things that get thrown at you too often and try to hurt you. But what goes, does get thrown around? It's words. And so words can easily hurt us. And that's why it's no surprise that we often define ourselves by what other people say or what other people think about us. If that is a guiding principle, that what people say or what people think about you defines who you are and who I am, there's something dangerous we need to watch out for. Kids, your parents probably talk to you about this in terms of peer pressure, but peer pressure is caring what other people say or think about us, and it happens at any age and any stage of life. In high school, we walk and talk a certain way, dress and think a certain way because we want people to like us. When we get to college, we use or abuse things that maybe we should not do and might harm us, or maybe we use and abuse things that are good, and God says, well, actually, you should just wait on these things. Why? because everyone's doing it. And even now, people talk a certain way or gossip about someone saying he's a little odd or she's a little annoying, and we join in. Why? Because everyone's doing it, and we, well, we at least don't want them to be talking about us. We often buy into the lie that I am what other people say and think about me. And this is a danger. It's a danger because it leads us to do things that are wrong. It leads us to do things that maybe we don't even want to do. But worst of all, believing the lie, defining yourself based on what other people say or think about you, it can keep you from doing things that are good and right. It can keep you from sharing the truth that you have, that you know, and that does define you, the truth about your Savior, Jesus. 
Let's just look at one scenario, shall we? Let's say it's a Friday afternoon and you're doing whatever you do on Friday afternoons at this stage in your life. Maybe you are at a park with your kids. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you are at a coffee shop reading, but you are there on a Friday afternoon and you're there with a small to medium-sized group of people wearing masks, socially distancing, of course. And because it's Friday afternoon, inevitably the question comes up, so what are you doing this weekend? And there in that small to medium-sized group, people start to share what they're doing. First, the people who are really excited about what they're doing go first, and they say that, oh, I got a lot of fun plans, I'm going to this festival, or I'm traveling here or there. And then people who are staying home doing as important things, but maybe more low-key, say, hey, we're just spending time with family this weekend, we're getting some chores, some projects done around the house. And everyone goes around the circle sharing what they're going to do this weekend, and it comes to you. And what do you say? You're a Christian who knows that on Sunday you're going to church, who actually enjoys going to church on Sunday. But because you care what other people say or think about you, you pause. And you wonder, what will they think about me if, if that's what I tell them I'm doing this weekend? What will they say about me? Will they be my friend? So you don't. You just say, not much. I don't have anything going on this weekend. And the conversation rolls on. But imagine for a second in this scenario, and it's not that difficult to do so, that someone in that group is not a Christian, or, or maybe they haven't been to a Christian church in a long time, and they're curious about the Christian faith. And had you said something, had you had the courage to share what you're doing this weekend and how you love your faith and how you love your Lord, even so much in this is what my plans are, there would have been an opportunity, maybe then, maybe sometime later, for them to ask you to tell a little more about the truth you know, the truth that you love that makes all the difference in your life. But because you care what other people say and think, you don't have that opportunity. And it doesn't even have to be that extreme. It, it could be just another Christian who's just like you, standing there in the group, who's just like you. In fact, in the way all Christians have doubts, have questions, have skepticism about faith, and they're wondering some of the things that you're wondering. Is it really worth it to be a Christian? There's so much social pressure. Is it really worth standing out amongst the crowd? They're having this crisis moment. And had you said something, had you had the courage to stand out and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I care about. This is what I love. This is how I spend my time. They would have been encouraged too and look at you and say, you know what? Because so-and-so is doing this, living out their faith. I too want to grow in my faith. But that never happens. That opportunity never occurs because you're too concerned or too worried what other people say or what other people think about you. And look, here's my point. My point in this is not in trying to guilt you or shame you into all of the opportunities that you have not shared your faith, because the reality is only the goodness of your good Lord can move and motivate someone to actually do that. Here is my point. When you believe the lie that I am what other people say or think about me, you don't just hurt yourself. You hurt others. 
The first two lies that we looked at throughout this sermon series, that I am what I have and I am what I do, those are deeply personal lies. They're lies that can not only affect my identity and my self-worth, but they're lies that can mess up our faith. They can mess up our relationship and our identity that we have in God. But there's something added with this third lie, that I am what they say about me. It not only has the potential to mess with our identity and our self-worth, but there's the very real potential that this lie hurts others. And not to mention, this lie too hurts our relationship with God. This lie too hurts our reputation and our standing before God. So let's go there. Let's talk about that for a moment because this is ultimately what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he goes on to say, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Look, here's the reality. When you only share your faith with people who are safe, when you don't take a risk and share share your faith with people who might think differently of you because because you're a Christian, you have the potential to not only harm them, but you are living the lie and idolizing them. You're putting them and their standing and what they think and what they think about you on the same level as with God and what he thinks about you. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, the most important reputation, the most important thing that someone says or thinks about you is the reputation that you have with God. And yet when you're a people pleaser and also try to be a God pleaser, you can't be both. You can't care and think about what other people say about you on the same level as that you care and think about what God says and think about you. So let's talk about that. What does God think? What does God say about you? First of all, know this, that God knows you. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. He knows your sins. He knows your struggles. And he knows your failures. Your God sees you and your God knows you. And he knows about all the time where you've given into peer pressure and you've done things that you did not want to do. Your God sees you and knows you, and he sees all of the times where peer pressure has kept you from doing the things that you know you should do. God sees you and he knows you, and he sees all the times that you've done things that you're not proud of. But God sees something else, and God knows something else. God sees his son, Jesus. He knows what his son, Jesus, did. And more than that, he knows what his son, Jesus, did for you. He knows that Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you, has ultimately changed your reputation with God and has changed what God thinks and what God says about you. It's perhaps the most clear, most compelling verse in all of scripture that summarizes the gospel. It's Romans chapter 4, verse 25. If you have it, opened, I want you to look at it. If you don't, I want you to turn and open up your Bibles or your devices to Romans chapter 4, because we're going to look at this verse together. In fact, hint, 
preview. We're gonna read it together in just a minute. But Romans chapter four, verse 25 says this. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Let's just break down the first half of verse 25, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was delivered over to death for our sins. See, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't just take away your sins. He suffered the punishment of your sins. You want to talk about what other people say? You want to talk about what other people think about you? He took all of that on himself. There as he hung on his cross, you know what other people said about him. You know what other people thought about him. This guy's really the son of God. If this guy's really who he claims to be, the king of kings, he would come down from the cross. He would do something about himself. Oh, he saves others. Why can't he save himself? And so there on the cross, the reputation that God had, that Jesus had with his enemies, completely soiled. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just his enemies. It was also his disciples, the people who followed him. Hardly any were there. Only a few were left. Where'd the rest go? They scattered. They were gone. That's what they thought about him. You want to talk about what other people say or think about? There on the cross, Jesus' spiritual reputation was changed with his God, was changed with his Father. When Jesus Christ there on the cross, was delivered over to death for our sins. That changed the way that God looked at his son. In fact, God stopped looking at his son. He said, I see your sins, therefore I want to see you no more. And so on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's doing is crying out in what he's suffering. He's suffering what you and I deserve eternal separation from God, eternal ruin of our reputation with God, that he looks at us and thinks of us and cares not for us. He suffered death and hell there in our place, but he didn't do it needlessly. He didn't do it pointlessly. He did it purposefully. He did it in order to restore and make right your reputation with God. That's what it means when he was delivered over to death for our sins. Martin Luther wrote a beautiful commentary on Romans, and what he said about this verse is especially noteworthy. He said this about the word our. If you're looking at Romans 4, verse 25, I want you to focus on that little word our. Luther writes, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, when you read the word our, read it with great emphasis and accustom yourself to accepting this with a sure faith and applying it to yourself. Do not doubt that you belong to the number of those who speak this hour. Christ did not only love the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul and give himself for them, but the same grace belongs and comes to us as to them. Therefore, we are included in the word hour. For Christ did not die to make the righteous righteous. No, Christ died to make sinners into the righteous, the friends and the souls of God. How comforting is that? I want you to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. In fact, I want you to read it with me. It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins. And when we read it, 
I want you to emphasize that hour. I want you to accustom, get accustomed to applying that to yourself. You ready? This is Romans chapter four, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for, oh, we're gonna try that again. Ready? He was delivered over to death for our sins. It's beautiful. And if you think that is wonderful and comforting, it gets even better. Romans chapter four goes on to say, and he was also raised to life for our justification. What does justification mean? Well, you know, justification is a word that is used in the Bible and used in church that is a big, fancy theological church word. But quite simply, it means this. It means a declaration of not guilty. What the Apostle Paul is talking about, the picture that he is painting is the courtroom where you're standing there and God sees you and knows you. He sees all of the things that you have failed at, all of the sins that you've committed in your right, in your life. And there steps in Jesus. He steps in between the judge and you, and he no longer sees you and your sin, but he sees his son. He sees him holy, he sees him blameless, and he sees what Jesus did for you. And he says, you're right. Now I see their sins no more. I see that they are not guilty. More than a courtroom scene, what the Apostle Paul is painting a picture of is Easter morning, where Jesus did what he said he was going to do, where he said he was going to die for our sins, and he was going to be raised to life. For what? For your justification, which, by the way, is made yours personally in the waters of your baptism. So what does justification mean? What does it mean as we consider this lie that I am what others say and think about me? What I want you to do is stop only thinking about the word justification as a theologically weighty word, but I want you to start thinking about your justification as a word that changes your reputation with God, that makes you good with God, that puts you at peace with God. Why? Because we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we hope in the glory of God. Maybe you're not convinced yet. All right, and this is why John wrote what he did in 1 John chapter 3. We read it before. You're invited to read it with me again. He said, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Even if you're struggling with guilt, even if you're struggling with shame, even if a angel comes to you and tells you something different than what the gospel tells you, even if Satan tells you a lie, which by the way, this is exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants you to think to yourself that God can't accept me. God can't love me. I'm not enough. I'm not good. I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a loser. I'm all of these things. He is the prince of lies. Even if any of these things come into you, what God wants you to know is that he is greater. He speaks louder. And this is the truth that he tells you, that you are justified. Therefore, you have peace and you can set your hearts at rest in his presence. 
You want to talk about what others say and what others think about you? Let's start with God and what he says and what he thinks about you. He said, your sins are gone and you are my child. And that means your sins are gone and you are God's child. We read it in Romans. We read it in 1 John. God says that you stand in the grace of God. And that means you stand in the grace of God. God says that you can boast in the glory of God. That means you can boast in the glory of God. God says that you have hope that does not ever put you to shame. And that means that, well, you have hope that never puts you to shame. God says that you have confidence before God. And that means that you have confidence before God. That's what justification means for you. It means your reputation with God has changed. It means that God thinks and says about you things that are only loving and affirming of who you are in him. You want to talk about your identity? You want to talk about your self-worth? He says, I love you and you are mine. He says, you are my holy, redeemed, blood-bought child of God, and this is who you are, and nothing can change that. I know everything. I am greater than everything. I speak louder than everything including the lies. This is the truth that sets your hearts free. This is the truth, well, that changes you eternally and currently. Because you know this truth, it makes you a witness to the King of Kings. It makes you his ambassador. And if that's too high and of mighty of a thing for you, let me put it simply, it makes you an errand boy or an errand girl of your Lord and Savior. You have his truth. You have his truth that defeats and debunks and destroys all of the lies. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. You know very well that words can hurt. But words can help. Words can heal. And words can set hearts at peace in the presence of God. And you have the words to do that. You have God's word in you. You have God's word for you that set hearts at peace. So what are you waiting for? Because there is a world of people that believe these five lies and 500 other lies. And we get the opportunity to go and free people from living lies and all of the problems caused by these lies because we have the truth that sets people free, the truth that you have been justified by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your reputation's been changed. You have peace. Your heart is at peace in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you something that you already know, that there is a massive risk. You take a great risk whenever you share your faith and what you believe with somebody else. There's a risk that they won't like you anymore. They'll think less of you anymore. They'll go and say something that's not great behind your back. But maybe... Just maybe someone will say, wait, what? (laughs) You're You're telling me that God loves me? But you mean that I'm not defined by what I do? I'm not defined by what I have and I'm not defined what other people say about me and what people say about me is, well, that God loves me? And you already know, he does. God loves you And may God grant it to you that you so find your hope, your confidence, and your identity in him that you take that hope, that confidence, identity, and you share it with others. 
because the risk is worth the reward. May God grant it for Jesus' name and his sake. Amen.